Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. No, we've been going through a series called Basic Training, and basically what we're wanting to do is really get back to basics with some foundational truths for your life so that you can live in the culture in which we live, to be what it really means to be the Christian that God has called you to be. And so we're taking it into three phases. The first phase, we laid some foundational truth down, and that is that we needed Jesus Christ. We were headed to hell without Christ, and Christ died for us. And when he died for us and he gave us that gift of salvation, if you've received it, he gave you a new standing. Now we've entered into phase two, which is the righteousness phase. And we're going to talk about what it means to live for God in your life. And so last week we looked at the fact that we have a helper, that the fact is that you cannot live the life that God is calling you to live without a helper, and that's the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to get into what that life is. And really the reality is, is it's marked by one word, holiness. Now as I tell you that one word, the reality is, some of you here are going to have a concept in your mind about what holiness is. And a lot of you are going to have a concept in your mind of something that is not what we're talking about. So in your mind, when you think of holiness... You think of something perfect and pure and some religious symbol that's holy. And you know, if you get close to it, there's some kind of aura that will get you. That's not what we're talking about. For some of you here, it may be an individual, a holy man. And it's like you're saying, the pastor, he's a holy man. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. You talk to Laura, you're going to find out, I ain't holy. And as you read in the newspaper and stuff... Don't make any man holy as him being separate and set apart, the holy man. There was really only one who was holy, and that was Jesus. So we want to deal with that. And so uh, the other misconception we have about holiness, and we're going to see it here in this passage, is, is that you and I are going to recognize that this passage is calling you and I to be holy. So now that means, for some of you here, that God, George is going to talk to us about being more religious. That's not what we're talking about either. What we're going to see is this holiness in its root meaning means separated. It's that you live your life differently and you live it for God wherever you are. And that the mindset that drives you is a mindset that I belong to God and so I'm going to let my life reflect it in my everyday life. Now, let's look at what the passage says, and we'll see what he's saying here. We're going to look at, first of all, the call to be different, and then our motivation for being holy. We're looking at verse 13. Paul writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but... As he who called you is holy, therefore you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 
And if you call on the Father, who is without who without partiality judges according to each one's works, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, or from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The first thing we're going to see in this passage is, is we're going to talk about this issue of a life of holiness, is that first of all that Paul's going to call us to it. Now I want to make some point here. He's not going to give us five suggestions. It's not a take it or leave it proposition here with him. In fact, when I was writing down the points, I was trying to write down the points so that you could understand that he's basically telling us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is how you need to live your life. So I tried to find a word to help communicate what he's trying to say to you. So you're going to notice in your bulletin that every one of the sections are going to begin with, we must. There's no wiggle room there. Because we have a tendency to want to find wiggle room with everything. Where's the loopholes? Where's the, where's the avenue where I can just do my own thing but still do what he's calling me to do? And, and, and we have this, this thinking that the Bible is giving us suggestions. What I want you to see is if you're a believer here, he's calling you to be different, and it's not a suggestion, it's telling you. You need to be different. Now let's just stop for a moment, because you're saying, well, you know, George, why do I need to be different? Well, the statistics bear it out. If you were to ask the average person on the street about Christians, they would say that the, uh, there's no difference between Christians except for the fact that they go to church on Sunday. They do the same things I do. I can sleep in on Sunday morning. They steal, they cheat, they rob, they mess around on their spouse. They're watching things and listening to things and talking about things that they shouldn't be doing. The only difference between us and them is they go to church. So the reality is, my friends, Christians aren't living different. But what we're seeing here is, is in the Bible, God's calling us to a life of holiness. That is, he's calling us to be different. Now here's the other problem with it. We don't like to be different. Have you noticed that? You want to be around people just like you, and you don't want to be different. Nobody wants to be the sore thumb sticking out in the middle of a group. Everybody wants to blend in. We don't want to go against the wave, and we want to do everything. But the reality is, is God's calling us, he's telling us to be different. So what we're going to see here is he's going to see, in verses 13 through 16, that call. He's going to tell us five things that we need to be different about. So I want you to listen to me. First one is this. We must develop a new mindset. Look with me at verse 13. The very first thing he says there is this. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Here's what he's saying. The word therefore is, is really basically reflecting back on what he had just talked about. And what he had just talked about is our salvation. And what Jesus did for us, what we couldn't do for ourselves, in giving us salvation. So here's what he's saying. Because you are saved, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. Now what's he talking about, gird up the loins of your mind? What, what does that mean, George? 
Well, okay, here's what it means. Remember, in Jesus' day, guys wore dresses. They wore long robes. And if you wanted to run, you literally had to take the middle of the dress, hike it up, and tuck it into your belt. So you could take off because running in a dress ain't pretty. Especially for a guy. This isn't going to happen. So you're getting yourself ready for a race. This is the imagery that Paul's using. So he's saying here is that you and I need to develop a new mindset. We've got to have a new line of thinking. So if I'm going to be different, I need to have a new mind in order to be different, to be reflective, to be holy, to be what God's calling me to be. You've got to quit thinking the way everybody else is thinking. You say, what do you mean by that, quit thinking away? Well, I mean, the culture has its norms now. So it's okay to run around on your spouse. It's okay to cheat on your boss. It's okay to do all these other things. That's the normal way of thinking, isn't it? It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and you know what it's like at work. It's okay to take 15 minutes extra for your break. It's okay to call in sick as long as you're hunting. It's okay. That's the cultural mindset. And we embrace it in the church without even thinking about it. Peter's telling us here, what? You need to develop a new mindset because of your salvation. So here, if we're going to be holy, because here's the thing, let me just stop for a moment. Holiness is not actions, my friends. We can reduce it down. In fact, we used to do that years ago. Remember the holiness movement? And reality is, is you don't do this, you don't do that. And it was all reflective of actions. Well, you can do actions without engaging your mind. Paul's telling us to engage our minds, to think, and to develop a new way of thinking in Christ. So here's what he's saying. As I develop this new mindset, the second thing he's telling us to do is, look look with me at verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The next thing he says here is be sober. Here's what he's saying. We must not allow anything to control us. We must not allow anything to control us. Now, when we use the term sober, immediately all of you are going to start thinking in terms of not being drunk. Well, yes, that is one aspect of what that word is talking about, is not being controlled by alcohol. But the word actually means a whole lot more than just not being drunk or being given over to alcohol. It's that you in your life are leading a self-controlled life so that nothing else is taking over in your life. So for some of you, it may be alcohol, but for others of you, it might be food. For some of you, it might be Facebook. (gasps) Not really. Trust me, it was just in USA Today last week, people getting off of Facebook because their whole lives are controlled by letting other people know what they're doing or finding out what others are doing. What is that? It's called cyber addiction. And it takes many forms. Facebook is one of them. Online pornography is another one. Here's what he's saying. If I'm going to live a life of holiness, I need to develop a new mindset. And one of the things in my new mindset, listen to me, is that I don't allow other things to control me. Because if you notice, we can be controlled by them, can't we? TV can control you. How many of you like people calling you during your favorite show? And you've got a VCR or... Or you've got TiVo, and you can record it. And you can just back it up and watch it again like you didn't miss anything. Right? But the problem is, is you are, what? Controlled 
by one thing. And here's what he's saying. If I'm going to be the man that God's calling me to be, if I'm going to be the woman that he's calling me, if I'm going to live differently, I can't be controlled by anything. I need to be sober. I need to be self-controlled. Here's what else he says. Look with me, verse 13. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. We must live with a confident expectation. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you believe Jesus Christ is going to come back? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me ask you another question. How many of you really believe Jesus Christ is going to come back? Okay. Let me ask you a third question. How many of you really, really, really believe Jesus Christ is going to come back? I didn't ask you to raise your hand. Because I'll be honest with you. Raising your hand doesn't show it. How you live your life does. Look at what he's saying to us. He's saying, number one, I need to have a new mindset. I need to live my life without being in control by anything else, food, whatever it is, alcohol, I need to be sober. But here's what he's saying. I need to set my heart on the hope that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And here's what he's saying. The hope is on the grace that is to come, not the grace I've received now. The grace that is to come talks about the full experience of salvation when Jesus Christ comes back and we get a new body, praise God, and we don't have to wrestle with sin anymore. Listen, I had this thought the other day. I was walking from my bedroom and I was getting ready to go somewhere and I was walking from my bedroom, getting ready to walk downstairs and I thought, you know, one day, Jesus, I'm going to be with you. And I don't, I don't even comprehend what that's going to be like because I'm in a world in which I am bombarded by thoughts that are not from, from myself or from you, but from the enemy, where sin is on every hand, temptation is on every hand, discouragement, the attacks of the enemy are real, and one day to, to, to comprehend, I can't even begin to comprehend what it's going to be like to be with you and to have all of that disappear. What we expect is normal now won't be normal. And we'll have true freedom. That's the hope we have to have. And it's got to affect your life. See, you're called to be different. You're to live your life with your heart set on the future redemption that's coming. Yes, you're saved now. But you haven't fully experienced that salvation to its completeness because we're still here. And we need to set our hope on what is coming. So you see what he's saying here? He's telling, he, you understand why this, this is not optional? You've got to develop a new mindset. You've got to live your life not controlled by anything. And you've got to live your life with an expectation of what's coming when Jesus Christ comes back and it's grace that he's going to show us. It's awesome. That's just three of them. Let's look at the next one. Number, number four. Look with me at verse 14. He says this, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. Here's what, here's what we need to do. We must not live as if there is no God. We must not live as if there is no God. How many of us are doing that? How many of us are just living our lives like there isn't a God at all? Because we just forgot Him today, or this week, or this month. And He really doesn't enter into our mind. And I notice once, when I talk about living our lives as if there's no God, Paul's... Peter is going to tell us several things here that we need to grasp a hold of. So let's look at that first, verse 14. You've got to soak in all of verse 14 here. Look at what it says. As obedient children, 
not conforming yourselves to the former lust. And you know, Paul says the same thing over in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to the image of this world. See, when you live your life as if there's no God, you're basically living your life based on what everybody else is doing and the current way of thinking. And let's be honest, that current way of thinking always changes, has doesn't it? Always. What's acceptable today will not be acceptable ten years from now. And what you don't like today might be. That's reality. And so he's saying here, don't, if you're going to live your life, if you're not going to live it, you've got to live it as if there's a God. You've got to quit conforming your life to what everybody else is doing. Now it's interesting, Paul would go one step further and say, and be not conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's connected to that first one about developing a new mindset. You say, well, how am I transformed? Well, Paul would later go on and talk about that transformation taking place through the Word of God. I develop a new mindset. I understand how I should not conform my life because I read His Word. And I let God develop a new mind in me. See, I told you you can't do it by yourself, didn't I? It's got to be the Holy Spirit. So here's what he's saying. Don't conform yourself. Don't live your life as if there's no God. Now, how many of us are doing that today? Except for the fact that we came in here today, most of us are going to walk out of here and live our lives like if there's no God at all. But my friends, we're called to be different. We're called to recognize that there is a God, and if you know Him, He lives within you. I mean, think about that. He's within us. And we live our lives each day as if He's not there. You understand what I'm saying? Why? Because we're conforming our lives to what? The lusts of our flesh and this world. That's what he's saying. We're living our lives in accordance with everybody else. We really don't want to acknowledge him. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying here, my friends, as God is calling us to be holy, don't live your life. As he's calling us to be different with what everybody else is doing, you live your life like there is a God. Because you know there is. Because he died for you and he gave his life for you. The fifth thing is this. Look with me, verse 15 through 16. And as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Here's what he's saying. We must live with a total devotion to God. We must live with a total devotion to God. See, our lifestyle cannot be reflective of our ignorance. What do you mean our ignorance? Remember, before Jesus, you were ignorant of who God truly was and what God truly had done for you and the relationship that you had with Him. But now that you are saved, now that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have done that here, you now recognize, listen to me, you now recognize that God God did this for me. I need to live for Him. And I'm going to be devoted to Him because of what He did for me. And you're going to be devoted to that person who saved you. See, this is what's missing from us, isn't it? See, hold it. See, here's what, here's, can I be honest with you? Let me just be honest with you. It would have been a whole lot easier for all of us here if I just came with five things we shouldn't do this week to be holy. Don't go here. Don't do this. Dress this way. It would have been a whole lot easier for me to do that. Because the five things I just gave you, <laughs> they ain't easy. Developing a new mindset. Being totally devoted to Him. I mean, those, those aren't easy, George. No, they weren't meant to be easy because you can't do them on your own. You need God to do them through you. He goes on. 
And he's going to tell us what the motivation is. Why do we need to do these five things? Why are these so important? Here's what they are. Three things I want you to see here, our motivation. Look with me at verse 17. He says this. And you who call on the Father. So he's specifically talking to believers here. If you pray to God, if you pray to Jesus, if you're praying and seeking his face, you need to pay attention to what he's saying here. This is what he's saying. And you who call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's works, conducts yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Here's what we need to do. We must fear the one who judges impartially. This is our motivation. I am going to live the way calls me to live because I am fearful of God. You say, well, I'm saved. I'm okay. Listen to me. Look at what he says here. I've got to kill something here today. There is a line of thinking in the church today that is wrong. And that line of thinking is this, that as long as you're saved, you're okay. You don't need to worry about anything. That is wrong. You don't have to worry about hell. But let me explain something to you. Just like when I grew up, if I did wrong, I can almost guarantee you my dad would take me to the woodshed. Just being a canon didn't give me the ability to do whatever I wanted to do. See, just being God's child doesn't mean you can now do whatever you want to do. If you do wrong, he's going to deal with you. In fact, isn't that what he says here? He judges impartially. What does that mean? He's going to deal with you just like he deals with the unsaved person. I would go one step further. How many of you have remember this kind of thing happening? I remember this happening in my home. I'd have some buddies, and we would go and get in trouble. And my dad would fuss at all of us. But I would pay a bigger price. I would say to him, Dad, you, you fussed at them. Why am I got to do all... Because you're my son. See, we've got we've to we've kill this line of thinking that we can just live our lives whatever we want because we're saved. No, my friends, over and over, the Bible says he judges impartially. And here's what it says right here in this verse. This isn't George saying, live your life in fear. Fear of who? God. God. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but I remember growing up, the last thing I wanted to do when I got in trouble was for my dad to find out. Why? Because I lived in fear of George Sr. See, we're missing the fear in our lives anymore of God. See, that's a motivation. He's calling us to be different. The reason why I'm going to do that is because I'm fearful of the one who holds the keys to judgment. And it isn't hell, but he sure will deal with me right now. And believe me, he will. Here's the other thing, the other motivation. We must recognize the price that Jesus paid for us. Look at verse 18. Look at what he says in verse 18. I think this is so powerful. You've got to get it. Here's what he says. You... Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with precious blood, with the, with the precious blood of the Christ, lamb without blemish and without spot. What's he saying here? The salvation you got isn't because you paid for it. Isn't because you got raised in the right home. Isn't because of your grandma. Isn't because of your uncle. It's because Jesus died for you and he gave his life for you. You need to understand the salvation that he's given you. That's the motivation. You didn't do anything for it. He did it for you. Here, let me, let me, let me talk to some of you folks here, my patriotic folks. The American soldier, sailor, sailor and airman is pretty, they're significant, aren't they? And we'll do whatever we can for them because we know that some of them are what? Paying the price with their lives for our what? Freedom. 
So when you get a chance, you'll honor them, won't you? I remember when the Iraq War first started, we were in Indiana, Lori and I with the kids, and I saw a soldier there wearing a fatigues, and I saw the battle patch he had on. So I knew he had been there. So I took the boys over and I thanked him. You would do something like that, wouldn't you? Why? Because we recognize they're paying a price for us. How come we don't do that with Jesus? We'll do that for somebody we don't even know, and we'll honor them. Paul says, your motivation is to honor the one who gave, who paid for you with his blood, Jesus. That's my motivation, Jesus. See, our motivation can't be just get through another day. Our motivation can't be more riches for myself, more power, more position. Our motivation has to be who? The one who paid his life for me, Jesus. Not just that I'm fearful of God who judges, but I'm motivated because of the one who paid his price for my life. There's one other thing here. One other motivation. And that's this. We must, we must recognize who Jesus is. We must recognize who Jesus is. This is what he's saying here. Look with me. Verse 20 and 21. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. What's he talking about here? He's talking about that we need to recognize that Jesus is God. He's always existed. See, it's not just recognizing Jesus as Savior. It's recognizing Jesus as Lord. And what I'm saying, this is what's missing. We want Jesus as Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for giving me that, that bank card of forgiveness so I can swipe it every time I do something wrong. No, no, see, that can't be the motivation. The motivation's also got to recognize who he is. He is God of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. We've got to live that way. That's my motivation. Say, okay, George. Boy, it's been heavy. What do I do with this? First one is this. How are you living your life? How are you living your life? We've got a joke around my house these days. It's all about you, George. It's all about you, Lori. We're just joke. It's a joke, but we're, the point is we've got to quit being selfish. I'm telling you, it's all about us, isn't it? That's where the problem starts in our relationships. That's where the problem starts at work. That's where the problems start in our world is because it's all about us. We're being selfish. And somehow we think that when God died for us on the cross and gave us eternal life and we accepted that by faith, that we could just keep on being selfish. That's not what he's calling us to. How are you living your life? Is it for you? Here's the second thing. Make a choice. See, I gave you five things, and I used the word must to tell you that it's not an option, but we like to have things in options. We like choices. You, do you know what I mean? We want to go and see the menu so we can choose from the menu. We like buffets that are full so that we can have a choice of many different things. But the reality is, is you can't have that in Christianity. You can't have pick this here, choose that there, I like this. No, you can't do that. You've got to make one choice or another. I'm either going to do what he tells me to do, or I'm going to do my own thing. So you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice to either live the life he's calling you to live, or just keep doing your own thing. So you've got to make a choice. And then the final thing is this, and here's, the, here's what I would encourage you to do, encourage myself. 
Live for God. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.